for those of you who might be wondering what all the costumes the children are, as you said, we're having a special afternoon for them. They get to go door to door around the church, within the church, and maybe it depends on the weather. I don't know if they have an opportunity to come out from outside, but uh, collecting the, the goodies and candies, and then there's going to be a barbecue afterwards, and uh, I'm glad to share with that, and it uh, should be lots of fun. Um, and, and of course, you know, watching them consume all this candy. Okay. <laughs> you lucky parents do. <laughs> uh, the, uh, one to remind you that we uh, have the shoe boxes. I'd like to get them up here. Uh, we still have a few left. Uh, inside the shoe box uh, is a uh, list of things that, uh, that we gather together uh, to give to these, and they go internationally uh, to various places. And so uh, take a look at that if you haven't picked up one yet and uh, have time to do it. They're due back November 14th, so that's just two weeks. And so uh, if you have time to participate with that, and then also, uh, this is it's the annual Voice of the Martyrs prayer time. And we have outside uh, on the, in the foyer there, on the, the uh, counters, a number of things that you can uh, pick up to commit to prayer with, uh, with the voice of, uh, of the martyrs. And uh, one is a commitment card, and with it, it has a uh, bookmarker that uh, pops out of it uh, that you can use. There's another one. Uh, a little more uh, explain uh, a little bit more about the voice of the martyrs and their work and their global movement and it has within it a CD as well or DVD actually and so uh, these are on the counter out there along with their current magazine so feel free to pick one of those up uh, and uh, view it, look at it and participate. What they're looking for is to speak the pledge uh, that, to them that, you know, and send a sign a pledge it's just to pray for them. Okay? Certainly if you could give a donation, that would be appreciated, but the, the drive is to get people to pray for them. And then uh, we have also a, uh, see, the 14th of November is when our uh, community group starts up again, and we're going to be using the uh, study guide by Max Lopedo. It's a uh, study of John. And I have a copy of it here, and uh, several other copies sitting here. And if you're interested in participating in that, we'd like to pick up one of these uh, guides. Uh, feel free to do so. And like I said, we'll be starting on November 14th at 6 o'clock at uh, Kathy's and, and my house, uh, 1399 Weber Street, here in Fortuna. Uh, then the last thing I have to share with you is New Life Christian School is uh, doing their raffle tickets again, and we have a packet here that goes with, uh, well, is it, is it, we're just going to say raffle. <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 Yeah, there's a, they're $5 each. The, the key prizes are a grand prize of $2,000 gift certificate to Bird's Furniture. 
Second prize is a choice of portable basketball hoop uh, at a value of $500, a restaurant package value of $300, or Rod's barbecue basket with a value of $250. And then there's a uh, there's a choice of remaining prizes that are third and fourth places. And, and uh, like I said, the $5 piece, they only have seven tickets left, and Naomi's uh, going to be the one that has the tickets. So uh, if you want to pick up one or two or seven, uh, feel free to do so. Naomi, I'm going to leave these up here for you. I'll give them now. Okay. And uh, so uh, that's the, the way the school, you know, raises money. Normally we have a big auction and a lot of other things and the dinner and stuff, but because of the COVID over the last couple of years, we've been able, unable to do that. So uh, we need your help and support if you can. And then in our prayer needs this morning, continue prayer for Phil Schreiber, who's recovering, seems to be doing well. And uh, for Diane Van, uh, she has been moved from the hospital in Sonoma Valley uh, Hospital back to the uh, rehab center down there. It's called uh, uh, Broadway Villa. And uh, we'll be trying to get her able to get well enough to come home back up to this area, she probably will have to go into a, a uh, rehab care home up here as well. So continue to pray for her. I think I mentioned uh, uh, last week uh, that uh, she's been diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, there has not been a determination as to how advanced that is at this point. Uh, so we're waiting on some tests for that. Uh, so just uh, pray for her that she can have a peace and I say, how, how should we pray? And I, and I say, don't hesitate to pray for the miraculous. That God will bring you in. So those are our, our prayer needs uh, uh, at this point. So uh, any other prayer needs this morning that I need to add to the list? Okay. Let's uh, go ahead and pray again. Father, we come to you... Uh, Again, we pray for Phil Schreiber and, and for Arlene as well at home and uh, ask Lord for full recovery uh, that as this uh, hematoma is absorbed that he has in, in, in his brain, uh, it, it seems to be going away, which is awesome. We thank you. And we ask Lord that there would be no remaining anything from it in the sense of, of that it would just be restored to full health there, Lord. And as his ribs heal from this fall, that you would uh, strengthen his body and uh, release him from the pain that he's bring and uh, just totally bring strength and healing to his body, bring him home soon. And for Diane, Lord, uh, we just pray that you would be with her. And we do pray for the miraculous. We ask, Lord, that you would heal her liver and then give the doctors wisdom and insight as to how to minister to her health. And as she recovers at the, at the rehab center, uh, that the therapist will know the things to do to get her body back into uh, shape so that she can uh, come back up here and, and, and be closer to friends and family. We worship you, Lord, and, and we thank you. And we ask, Lord, that as we open your word this morning, that you would be with us. And uh, just uh, open our minds uh, to what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name. Also uh, remind you that uh, next Saturday night you turn your clock back. Uh, 
so you get that hour back that you lost you know, in the spring. And uh, so that's November November 7th, which is, is the official day. So Saturday night, I suggest you turn it back. And uh, I think that's all I have to, to announce this morning. So we are, in your, you're in your Bible reading program going through a year. You're into the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. And that's what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning, 1 Corinthians. And uh, if you would, in reading through the book of Acts, when you read in chapter uh, 18, you found Paul uh, started the church on his second missionary journey. And uh, you might have been, done some studying about it or looked up some things about it at that point in time. Corinth was a... Uh, a city that was located on. Okay, first off, you got a picture of the map of where Greece is. That was then called Macedonia, and there was a, a, a big portion of it that's called uh, Achaia, and and then there's this little isthmus that connects the the to the rest of the landmass uh, that is connected to the the main uh, continental part, and so that little isthmus. Uh, I think it's only about 12 miles wide. That's where Corinth is located. And so it's got this huge harbor on the west and a huge harbor on the east uh, that is there. And so somebody got clever and figured out how to transport boats on a, a roller system from one harbor to the next and go across that isthmus so that they didn't have to go all the way around these stuff. Uh, and the seas were fairly treacherous at various times. And so it created a, a, a very big trade center in the city of Corinth. So it was a crossroads, if you will. Uh, they had, and, and they were uh, big, uh, you know, big in the sense of commerce, uh, shipping and trade. Uh, and uh, it was a cosmopolitan kind of place, uh, made up of lots and lots of different people from different parts of the world. Uh, Phoenicians, Romans, Jews, people from India, from Syria, Damascus, and Egypt, and other places, and they were per they had permanent residencies there as well as people coming and going. So a constant, constant sense of, of, of traffic and trade, and and that was its main thing, and that's what caused it to grow as a city uh, at the point in time. That, that Paul was there, the city was probably between two and 300,000 people. So a very large uh, population center. Um, they were very much a part of what I guess you would call the Greek culture. They were very uh, into the uh, idea of uh, debating, which you know, is something that the Greek Greeks like to do, they like to debate logic and, and politics and, and philosophies of various kinds. And of course, you had the great teachers uh, that you know, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and others. Uh, and, and so, what you would end up with is in, 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 in people who you know, would say, Well, I follow Socrates, or I follow Aristotle, or I follow Plato, or or even more so, I follow the teacher that taught this about Plato. They divide it up and get into various groups, and then they love to get together and debate about it. And so, uh, 
this is the, the background that that is in the city of Corinth as well. And so they have this uh, flow of, of philosophies and, and, and religions, a melting pot of religions. Uh, and, and so you have all of this going on. And I, it's hard for me to picture because I, I've never been there, but I have seen the pictures. And there is a, a large mountain that rises up right outside of, 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 of the of Corinth, 2,000 feet high above the city of Corinth. And it's up actual elevation, it's like 2,400 feet. And it's a place where the, on the top of this mountain they built a temple. And it was the followers of Aphrodite, the worshippers of Aphrodite that built this temple. And uh, she is was known as the goddess of fertility, which is the polite way to call her the sex goddess. And uh, she was a, a major influence. That, that religion and that group of people was a very major influence on the people. But she also had temples for Apollos and Poseidon and all these other Greek gods. And so this was the, the, the religious influence, especially Aphrodite. And I, I'm cautious about how I, I relate this. I'm glad this isn't a day we get the kids in here. Uh, because Aphrodite was, one of the ways they raised the money for the temple was through their priestess and, and her prostitutes. And they had thousands of prostitutes at any given time that would come down into the city of Corinth. And, and you would pay, obviously, to have a relationship with this prostitute, and that would be considered an act of worship to Aphrodite. So you can see that there's a, 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 a tremendous immoral influence going on here in the city of Corinth as well. And so you have them, you know, on one side they're pursuing this idea of wisdom and, and, and philosophy and intellectualism, but all according to the way the world thinks. And then the Temple of Aphrodite, a sex cult for all intents and purposes, uh, promoting immorality. And, and all of this you, you end up with looking at and you see the Church of God in Corinth, the false art, in, in a wicked city. Yeah. And, and so the concern that would be obvious would be the, 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 the overflow of this kind of influence into the church. We'll get to that in a minute. Kind of a side on this is that in 146 BC, uh, Corinth was destroyed by Rome in, in a war. And then in 46 BC, uh, 100 years later, it was rebuilt by Caesar, uh, uh, Julius Caesar. And it was rebuilt as, in, in every way possible as a modern city with all the, the architecture and, and influence of Rome and Greece. Uh, in, in its restoration. And like I said, it became a major city again, uh, and the temples and all that were there. So what I wrote down here for my, my notes was that the, the concern was the, the, this influence of philosophy, worldly philosophy, and this influence of, of a sex called moving in and influencing the immorality, influencing the church. And so what you basically have is, is what turns out to be the typical war of the world everywhere. And that's what is spiritual and of God versus carnality. 
things of man. And carnality is a broad subject. It's not just sexual. It's anything that man does for man in the man's ideas and man's way. In the flesh. Without God. And so you have this, this battle going on as Paul starts this church around you know, 50 80s. He gets this church going and uh, it's going to be a war for them. Uh, and, and one of, of, of possibly more difficult than, than other places because of all of this influence. Uh, the idea is, uh, you know, he wants to just kind of turn around and, and just come along and say, well, we'll just make a bunch of rules uh, that will be godly things to do instead of, you know, uh, carnal things to do. And, and we'll just insist that everybody abide by these rules. What happens then? We get into legalism. And Paul says, that's not the way to do it either. So we're going to have a very clear battle zone here. Spiritual versus carnal. Uh, godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. And they're going to need this spiritual, godly wisdom uh, in order to fight this battle, to, to fix this problem. So I, I kind of put it in my mind, and, I, and I'm sure this is where it was going, as well as in the book of uh, First Corinthians, was back to basics. And there is a scripture that was common to the Jewish people. I'm sure there was a, a scripture that Paul continued to use uh, with all of his teaching, that uh, kind of a foundational scripture. Uh, it's found in. in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge the beginning of understanding if you will uh, the place where, where your idea of how to live, your philosophy of living would begin and then it's repeated again in Proverbs 9 chapter 9 verse 10 but this time it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom Psalm 110 says the same thing and so the the idea was, is, is this is what we have to focus on. We have to focus on the fear of the Lord. When it says the fear of the Lord, it means acknowledging that God is God. Understanding that, that, that God has put together a frame of, of intervention in man's life to save him. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is, is uh, the Christ and raised from the dead. You shall be saved. And so we have this idea of the fear of the Lord as the beginning, the foundation of wisdom. You, you can't go over here and, and study the things and, and, and then turn and say, okay, now I'll, 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 I'll apply this to seeking God. It's seek God and then understand the rest of the world. And that is really a critical factor for us in our culture as well. You know, we don't, and, and, and I don't know anybody, pastor included, that aren't, that, that, that don't fall into the situation, generally speaking, is the amount of time we spend devoting ourselves to knowing God versus the time we spend interacting with the world in one way or another. Just the fact that you have a job uh, that might be in a, in a company that's, that's, that's secularly owned, and that's most of everybody, and, 
whether it's a state or the county or the schools or whatever. And, and so that's your place of work. You're interacting with a worldly system the bulk of your, your, your waking time, your working time. And so what little time we have that we set aside to, to study and to understand and to know God and to read His Word is critically, seriously important. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, the problems in the church in Corinth, if you were to look at it, the first four chapters do, uh, go about the idea that there's there's problems of division. I already mentioned it. You know, uh, there were some saying, "Well, we follow Apollos," and others would say, "No, we follow Paul." Or some would say, "No, we follow the, the one of the earlier apostles, Peter." Or some would just say, "We follow Christ." And I was thinking, and as I read through this, uh, and, and every time you read through something, you think about it, but the more what I was looking at was trying to, to see it in our culture setting today, and I realized that in my lifetime, there have been a number of, of pastors who are uh, teachers, uh, some of them TV, radio, and, and and other means uh, of communicating uh, besides holding big uh, churches and revivals and stuff that were people who had for lack of better words people who could follow they would say oh in a sense I'm a Billy Graham I like his preaching I like his teaching someone else might turn around and say oh I'm, I, I, I really really enjoy Jerry Falwell now, some of you are going to say these people have passed away, but they weren't why I was growing up and they walking into the faith. And Jerry Falwell was talked about a lot when I was a Christian, early Christian, early in my Christian life. Another one was, was, was Chuck Smith. Maybe you're familiar with Calvary Chapel in, in, in the beginning of, of his ministry, Chuck Smith, acting in the 60s and 70s. Very popular teacher, especially in the Western United States, but literally all over the world there are Calvary Chapel. Another one who had a big, huge time, a big time ministry on television was Robert Schuller. And uh, the Crystal Cathedral, maybe some of you are familiar with uh, the facility in Southern California. Uh, it's an amazing thing to behold. But you realize when you look at it, it's, it's really a monument to a man. And uh, I don't mean to be unkind, but that was you know, really how it ended up. Robert Schuller, Chuck Smith, Pat Robertson, Oral Roberts. There was, there was all of these people. And people were taking their particular individual teachings and saying, this is who I follow. This is who I listen to. Oh, I listen to his tapes. I read his books. And, and, and you know, and there, it comes to this point where people look for a church that is similar that satisfies that particular edge or that particular bend or, 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 or that particular way of looking at it or teaching. I'm not saying that that's bad. What I'm saying is that it becomes divisive. And this is what had happened in the Corinthian church. It had become divisive. And it wasn't just that. The immorality had also creeped into the church. They had a situation, I'm not going to go into the details, but in chapters 5 and 6 and stuff, they talk about it. Lawsuits. 
there was uh, Christians suing each other and Paul saying, why can't you, you know, you guys need to be able to solve these problems without going to the secular courts and, and suing each other. And it was over trivial things. There was a problem with, certainly in a city like Corinth, especially with all of these different temples, tremendous amounts of sacrifices made to the uh, temples and the temple gods. Then, that, then the priests took their sacrifices, that, that, the parts that were left over, and they took it to the, the, the market and sold it. And the people are saying, oh my, now what do we do? How do we deal with buying meat that might be sacrificed to an idol? And so there was confusion about that. And there, and there was there was the debate over spiritual gifts. Who's, what spiritual gift? The, the idea was what happens when you get this, this idea of, of human ways of looking at things. You start to say, well, which gift is the best gift? If, or if you have this gift, you are better than the person that has this gift. Or you're, you're more spiritual because you can do this, but you then over other people who can't. Who's the greatest is really what it boils down to. And a lot of these things. And and the, the interesting thing was, Jesus went through this with the disciples once too, if you recall. Who's the, who's the most important amongst us? Who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus and all these different things? And, and Jesus says, there's, there's no greater than anything you know There was even debates over the resurrection of Christ as to various parts of it, whether it was bodily, spiritual, different things. So Paul had to even address that issue in chapter 15 of the Corinthians. And I found it interesting that Paul's answer to this actually focused, if you will, for me at least, what I saw as an answer was chapter 13. How many of you are familiar with the love chapter of, of 1 Corinthians? And, and you look at chapter 13, Paul, he, Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men, in other words, I have a gift of tongues, and of angels, but have not love, I am noisy, gong, or a clanging symbol. In other words, all I do is draw attention to myself. I'm the most important. And if I have prophetic powers, in other words, you can teach and, and prophesy and, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith so as to be able to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I give away all that I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, and have not another major sacrifice, but have not love. I gain nothing. And then here's this picture that he paints for us. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love hears all things, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Anybody who's been through uh, premarital counseling or pre uh, counseling prior to uh, uh, getting married, 
probably had those verses shared with them. The idea is, is that love is the foundation of who we are in Christ. And I just saw that as, as Paul's way of saying, this is where we start. We don't divide ourselves, we unite ourselves around what? Jesus Christ. He poured out his love for us. He saved us, the church. And then he brings us together. And the fact that they're spiritual gifts, the only reason why there's different gifts is that for different, each of us have different gifts to use collectively together to minister one to another. So that we all get built up in Christ. All the immorality and the, the lawsuits and uh, issues over, over spiritual gifts and the resurrection of Christ were things that were because different people started saying, oh, I, I, I believe this thing and, and I listen to this teacher or I listen to that teacher. The question mark is, who are we to listen to? And today we are so blessed because we have something God has given us. We have His Word. His Word is the foundation. And maybe you have a different opinion about some of the spiritual gifts than I have. Those are sidelines. Those are sidelines. Where are we in common? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we hold in common. That's what the foundation is. That's where our love extends and comes from. From the love of Christ and what He's done for us. Basically, it's very similar to when Jesus was asked, What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, oh, it's really simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Putting God first in all things. And then, as you have this relationship with God, now, through your relationship with God, love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, if you were to look at the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments deal with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the remaining six commandments deal with how to love your neighbor and interact and have a relationship with them. It's consistent with what you Now, quickly, I wanted to, to look at chapter one. Just to point out a couple of things. In chapter 1, the first three verses, it says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ, Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ, Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both our Lord and our Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing, he says he's writing to the church of God. And he identifies those all those who are in Christ Jesus. The church of God. He says he's writing to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. 
What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. And God is in the process through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in us, causing us to transform, to be changed, to be sanctified, to be made holy. It's not a, that's not a one-time event. It's a process that we go through in our life. He writes to those who are sanctified. And then he says, call the saints. Again, the idea of saints is to be set apart, separate from the world. So who is Paul writing to? He said, I'm writing to the church in Corinth, who this is really the foundation of who you are. You are called people in the name of Jesus Christ through salvation, through the blood. You are called people that have been separated from the rest of the world. And as a result, if we're separated from the rest of the world, we should be able to be looked at and not seen like the rest of the world. What was Paul concerned about? Well, we get into the, the creeping of the, the, the philosophy of the world and the immorality of the world coming into the church. And so he's saying, this is who we are, foundationally. He starts right off with that. And then he says, grace and peace from God our Father. Grace has to do with our salvation. We are saved uh, by faith through grace. The grace of God. It's a gift of God. It is nothing that we can earn. It's nothing that we deserve. It is a gift from God. It takes us back one every time we hear the word, the word of grace and, and, and apply it to ourselves. The first thing we should get is this. We are all sinners saved by grace. I have sinned. There is none that have not sinned. And so we all need the grace of God. His free gift of love and mercy. Compassion. We're saved by grace. And then he says, and the peace from God the Father. Grace has to do with salvation. Peace has to do with being justified before the throne of God. It's called justification. It's a, it's a super word in, in the sense of religion theology, they say you are justified. Well, some people simplify it by saying that justified never sin. Justified means the price of your sin has been paid in full by Jesus Christ. And when we confess Jesus Christ with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is the Son of God raised from the dead, we are saved. We are justified. We have the grace of God of us. Paul wants us to be sure as we go through these books, as we read through them, that there is to be a distinction between the world and the church. There's a tendency at times where we think, why don't we do more of this, more of that, you know, and be a little more uh, open to, to, to more people might feel comfortable uh, in, in, in the church. And, and the, the question mark is that God didn't put the church together for us to feel comfortable. He put the church together for us to be saved. And salvation comes through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And so as we look at this, we rest in this grace and this peace, this salvation, this justification that comes through Jesus Christ. And we thank the Lord our God for what He has done for us. Every Sunday we share communion 
as a reminder to us what God has done for us. Communion is a time of, of, of looking at yourself and examining yourself, seeing what sin may be in you and asking God to forgive. But it's also a time of rejoicing because Christ says that this is something He will share with us eternally. When He returns, He will share this with us. And it's something for us to, to simply do to remember who Jesus Christ is and what He's done. He came in the flesh. And by the way, the bread is more than just the fact that He died on the cross. A lot of people, they, they just think of His flesh on the cross. I want you to go back to the fact that He emptied Himself Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He emptied himself. It means he set his holiness, if you will, in a sense, aside. He set his, his cloak of authority and, 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 and godliness aside. And he entered the womb of the woman. And he came flesh, just like any other man. It's what was necessary. A man, perfect in every way, is the only sacrifice that would cover sin. So Jesus became a sinner. What a powerful picture to the little seven sons of the The blood certainly poured out on the, on the cross, but the idea of the poured out blood was he poured out his blood. Life is in the blood according to the, to the, to the Hebrew scriptures, and now his life was poured out. He died. He went to the grave. He was buried. Then he arose physically alive to show that he had the power over life and death, and that he could guarantee the promise that he's made to us that we too shall rise. Let's uh, have this music song uh, and uh, sing that together, and then uh, we'll share the union. This is. we're going to share the, the cups one more Sunday, uh, the packets. So if we didn't get one coming in, feel free to call us in. You could go out and pick one up now. And uh, we'll share communion together. Um,